0: mobile banking
1: requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply Bank of America NA member FDSE
0: The Natural Man Podcast is intended as general information for educational purposes only and should not be construed as medical advice or a diagnosis of any kind or as a substitute for medical treatment the information provided in this podcast is not meant to replace the advice of or treatment by any physician do not rely upon any information to replace consultations or advice received by qualified health professionals regarding your own specific situation if you suspect that you have a medical problem you are urged to seek competent medical help The Natural Man Podcast Podcast and its representatives and agents disclaim any liability for any negative or other medical or other outcomes that may occur as a result of acting on or not acting on any information contained in the podcast. The views and opinions expressed by the host and all guests are their own, and their appearance on this podcast and at the website of the Natural Man Podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent and does not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Natural Man Podcast. This is the Natural Man Podcast. We are back for another episode. Thanks for joining us. Really excited. Today we're going to be talking to a amazing doctor who's focused on integrative primary care with an emphasis on pain management. He holds certifications in nutrient and IV therapies and regenerative therapies, very important areas um, in today's world. And one area of focus in his practice is hormone therapy. And Dr. David Gallegos, thanks for being here. Really appreciate you making the time to join us today.
1: Oh, happy to be here, Mike. I'm excited to uh, you know talk about you know what we do and and the things that we do differently uh, that really do translate into a positive effect and to a lot of our patients' health in general. So
0: definitely. And the work you're doing is very important. And today I want to zero in on hormone therapy. Um, I know you've got extensive, yeah. extensive experience in that. And it's something that's not talked about enough, in my opinion. So um, Mm -hmm. I want to just start by asking a general question. Does hormone therapy become necessary for people as they get older?
1: You know, that's a a fantastic question. I think that eventually our system or physiology will um, start to slow down. You know, that's just part of the natural aging process that we go through. Uh, everyone is different. So I do have a handful of patients, for example, that are in their 60s, 70s even, um, and males um, that are, you know, testosterone of 800 or 900 even, which is really, um, I would say unusual, right? I would yeah. say that's uh, that's not commonly seen. Um, but, you know, that's where our medicine and the way that I approach my care and patients is very personalized, you know, so... Um, taking um, that personalized approach and really uh, evaluating our patients um, and seeing, do you actually need hormone replacement um, at a what age or what are your, your um, areas of health that are really damaging or maybe contributing to uh, not allowing those hormones to be produced as optimally as they should, you know?
0: Yeah. So testosterone's a big one for men. Um, my question to you is how many, uh, w- what's the youngest you've had, what's the youngest age you've had to prescribe testosterone? Um, in yeah, males? I would
1: say the youngest male that I've had to do testosterone for is a 38 year old male. Um, and you know, we did a lot of other tests to make sure why was testosterone so low in them. Um, you know, we looked at their sleep, their stress, their exercise routine, their nutrition, and once all of that was uh, back to where they should be, and we saw that the testosterone was still not responding well to those changes, then that's when we really evaluated the need of a, of a replacement. Um, and we actually started with a different um, prescription that is not testosterone itself. It's something called gonadorelin, which is actually a peptide. Um, And so this molecule specifically actually will work in the brain of a patient um, that will translate into boosting that signal that your pituitary will send to the testes um, that is going to allow that um, connection between your brain and reproductive organs. That's going to give it that signal that says, hey, you need to make more testosterone, or you need to downregulate or reduce the amount of testosterone that you're making. And so this patient actually responded really well with that therapy, which is excellent, right? So we didn't have to jump into a full exogenous um, prescription of testosterone by just giving the brain that extra boost, if you will, or extra um, help that it needed was enough for the patient to start making it on its own.
0: Wow. So what's that substance called again?
1: It's called gonadorelin.
0: Okay, and is that a is that a supplement or a, a
1: medication? No, this one. is a medication. It's it's. I don't know how familiar you are with peptides, but it's a peptides are just a, a different chain of amino acids that sponged together. A lot of them are already naturally occurring in our physiology in our bodies, right? Uh, but they're just compounding in a way that they're you know made into a more a uh, more of a higher dose, if you will, that you can ever get into and ever. You know at one given area yeah and so <clears throat> that gonadrelin uh works into that aspect um in the pituitary so yeah it's a, it's a fantastic um medication that i add a lot of people compare it to um another medication um that works more on you know growth hormone for example um but it really acts very differently and so this one um, again, it's just really targeting that, that pathway um, of the signal between the brain and the reproductive organs. So. That's
0: fascinating. So it gives, a, it gives the pituitary gland like a, a regulating or modulating boost. So it will, it will give the pituitary gland the uh, ability to know if it needs to upregulate or downregulate, like it works both ways? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, mainly, really, what you get is the upregulation of the hormone. Okay. Um, so you're gonna get that FSH and LH boost from the pituitary, which in turn is gonna go down all the way to the testes, and then they're gonna get that signal, which in turn is gonna create more of a production of testosterone. So
0: that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. That that's really wild. Um, so talk about bioidentical hormones. Like, how are those different mm-hmm. from? traditional hormones i know more functional medicine docs like to use the bioidentical ones and and they're supposedly more gentle on the system can you elaborate on that
1: yeah yeah so bioidentical hormones um, and the difference between that and synthetic synthetic made hormones is that bioidentical are really derived from obviously natural um substances a lot of them are derived from like yams or soy based um products Uh, But really what's translated into the benefit of a biotechnical is that biochemically, they actually mimic almost identical the production and the human hormones that we carry in our bodies, right? And so uh, when you can think of a a, a mitigation that is really mimicking what it's already been circulating, what your body's already used to seeing, and those receptors are used to being exposed to that molecule – and then all of a sudden you give it the same type of molecule, your body's obviously gonna metabolize it better. Your body your body's gonna respond a lot better when it comes to the absorption of it. Um, and so you're gonna really avoid a lot of the side effects that could come with you know hormone replacement. Um, and so, you know, the nice thing with that also with biotechnicals is that it's very, again, uh, specific in terms of the dosing, right? Because everyone or all of these medications come from a compounding pharmacy. And so I can literally go to the pharmacy and tell them, hey, for, you know, John Doe, I want you to prescribe, you know, 175.5 milligrams of testosterone, just to give an example, right? It's something that they can make at that dose, which is something that you're not going to be able to get when you get a synthetic, you know, uh, testosterone gel or just the C P A that you can get out of any other pharmacy right
0: right so are those always compounded
1: yeah yeah I would say yeah 98% of the of the products that you see when it comes to biotechnical is compounded yeah
0: and have you ever had a patient that couldn't tolerate bioidentical hormones
1: yeah, I mean, I think you, we always get those patients that are either really sensitive or that they just respond really strongly to really any therapy, any medication. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's another really nice thing with the hormones, right? Because the way that I approach my dosing, especially if they've never been exposed to uh, hormone replacement, I started more of, a, of an intermediate or low-dose dose. Um, Uh, prescription of the therapy. And then as their body gets exposed to those um, new levels and as a receptor starts to getting used to those new saturation levels, then we see how they're responding, how they're tolerating it. If they're still not doing well, then we might have to explore a different avenue or, you know, once their body gets used to it, then we start, you know, slowly titrating up to a level that I think would be beneficial.
0: Okay. Know? And so is that a, is there an adaptation stage then where you just it take, there takes some time for an adjustment, you might see some minor side effects, but then they, yeah, absolutely. they balance out in the end?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely at the beginning, or if for example, you have a patient that has been suffering from these symptoms for years. Um, obviously their system is already being so underwhelmed and underdeveloped when it comes to the um, the exposure of an actual optimal level of hormone that they should be getting mm-hmm. that when you boost that level, um, they're gonna go through a period of you know what is going on internally, if you will, where their body has to get used to now working at that level that it should be working. And so yeah, during I would say, the first couple of months, two to three months is where I see patients um, occasionally, um, you know, having more of a different uh, symptomatology, if you will. Yeah. They're not true side effects. You know, a lot of people uh, mistake side effects from just your body literally going through a process of uh, optimization inside mm-hmm. of the body. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, I try to really explain patients that role and what to expect, you know, because that mm-hmm. way when if it does happen, it doesn't, you know, it's not a, a blindsided type of issue where they're like, hey, you never told me that this could happen. And then yeah. all of a sudden, you know, they start um, thinking about, you know, what's going on. So
0: Yeah. So how how do you as a physician differentiate between the adjustment period, the adaptation of the new hormone regulating the system versus, you know, unwanted side effects?
1: True. Yeah. So I mean, just looking at the, at the the actual complaint of the patient. So, for example, the one that I hear very very common, especially on testosterone replacement, is um, intermittent hair loss or just a, a period of hair loss that they go through, okay. and that's really um, often seen. Um, and it's not a side effect. It's actually uh, because of those receptors that are getting used to the level of hormone. Because you're really taking that hormone, let's say, for example, you have a patient that's 250 of total testosterone, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, optimally, they should be around 900, for example, depending on the delivery of the medication or how we're, you know, giving them that that prescription, whether it's through a pellet or through an injection, those levels are going to really raise really rapidly, right? And so physiologically, a lot of these receptors, because they haven't been getting that stimulus for so long, they almost shut down. And so you need to almost uh, wake and awake those receptors. And that um, could translate into um, just temporary hair loss. Mm -hmm. But I always tell patients, you know, give it about four to six weeks. If you're not seeing that it's getting better or it's stopping after that time, then we might have to do other testing to look at your metabolites or testosterone. Maybe you're making a lot of DHT, uh, so dihydrotestosterone, which is a really potent type of testosterone mm-hmm. that can really affect, you know, your hair hair follicles and a lot of other issues. So maybe it's just a more of a metabolism issue, yeah, uh, and not per se a a true receptor issue, right? Yeah. So just really understanding that that level. Um, of how you know the hormones work inside of the body, how they metabolize, what can they really affect is really crucial.
0: Yeah, so. and I bet hair loss scares a lot of people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, right?
0: What guy wants to lose do, his hair, right?
1: Yeah, and a lot of them come from already having hair loss issues, right? So yeah. They're saying, I'm losing even more hair. Now, yeah. so what right, are you doing yeah, to exactly, me? <laughs> exactly,
0: right? Yeah. Um, so, does every man eventually need? Supplemental testosterone, I mean, you said earlier that it's rare that you see older guys with, you know, raging high levels. But um, right. is that inevitable for for all of us guys at some point?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say uh, at, at some time, I think every male should 100% benefit from some sort of hormone replacement. You know, <laughs> because as we go through the aging process, you know, that production, it just... Physiologically, it's going to, you know, slow down also, it's not going to be as efficient as it was before. Yeah. Um, But you still need the benefits of testosterone, you know, which really go above and beyond just the sex drive and the ED or, you know, erectile uh, functionality of it really translates into the cognitive benefits. Uh, the protection when it comes to uh, bone demineralization and prevention of you know osteoporosis, which I it's more pronounced in females than males, but you still get some of that. Um, when it comes to just overall metabolic health and be able to uh, burn you know the extra calories that you're storing and be able to like metabolize those properly, you know mm-hmm. a lot of this this benefits that that extend above just you know the the sexual function of it. Um, which are really important when it comes to that aspect of longevity medicine and really anti-aging benefits, you know? So again, and everyone, you know, I do make it really clear that it's, it's almost um, tough once we start on a hormone replacement therapy to get to a point where they can be weaned off of that medication. Mm -hmm. Because again, you're already starting at a deficit. Your system is already not making enough of that, and so we're literally giving a replacement, right, of mm-hmm. that hormone that your body needs. Uh, and so that's another conversation that I have a lot with patients because they think, well, you know, now that my levels are back to where they should be, that means that I can stop the medication, right? And so yeah, right. obviously the reason why you're there is because you're taking the medication. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. And you've stopped making sufficient amounts of it. So what makes you think <laughs> exactly. you can just stop, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So So what, what are some signs like in general that guys can look for to know that they might be a candidate for testosterone, like symptom wise? Yeah.
1: A lot of things that I see more commonly is weight gain, especially let's say that they're, you know, eating a, a relatively healthy diet, they're exercising, um, and they're still not able to lose those, you know, extra pounds of weight. That's a good sign. Um, just fatigue in general, uh, lack of stamina. And drive throughout the day, uh, mm-hmm. reduction in mental uh, cognitive abilities and focus um, throughout the day as well. Um, it can also impact the the deep sleep aspect of you know obviously when we're sleeping that uh, circadian rhythm optimization. Um, so let's say that you know they're sleeping seven to eight hours, but they're still waking up you know feeling tired, right. uh, feeling uh, unrested. And so, those are the type of patients that are normally, you know, I think is exploring. Obviously, age and their predisposition to other diseases. Do they have diabetes? Do they have high blood pressure? Um, do they have, you know, metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance? All those issues, as well, you know, do play a role when it comes to your overall hormone um, optimization and production. Mm-hmm. And so, again, looking at those things, what are your specific predisposition risk assessment? And then determining whether you know we should be looking at hormones as well or not.
0: So. Right. Okay. And so we we've established that at some point most people have a deficit in in hormone levels as they age. At some point, um, right. So are there lifestyle habits we can start when we're younger that will uh, put that off longer than you know what I mean? Like 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 Absolutely. if we live healthy earlier, does that become less necessary? You know, do you know what I'm trying yeah. to ask you? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, 100%. I mean, that's, that's something that I really try to encourage and talk to a lot with my younger patients, um, mm-hmm. which is really comes down to just the three pillars of health, in my opinion, which is sleep, nutrition and exercise, right? If I would have to add another one would be stress reduction, because we know, you know, study after study just supports the, the problems that come with a crappy nutrition, yeah. crappy sleep sleep, you know, um, increased amounts of stress in our lives um, and lack of exercise, whether it's from a cardiovascular standpoint, all the way up to a hormone dysregulation, you know, uh, dermatological issues, um, gut issues, you know, a lot of those things. So I would say, try to do your best, the younger that you are with having just developing that um, those changes and those habit forming abilities of making those healthy changes early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the biggest thing would be sleeping, really trying to get restorative sleep so at least eight hours of sleep. Um, uh, you know, try to avoid all those things that affect your sleep uh, to try to get as much restorative sleep as you can when it comes to, you know, eating late. Um, reduction in alcohol intake especially later in the day mm-hmm. uh, caffeine reduction uh, blue light exposure um you know electronic usage you know a couple of hours before bedtime you know stress reduction proper nutrition really balanced nutrition you know i'm not really big into pushing one diet over the other because again everyone's different and everyone's uh gut and microbiome is very different yeah. and so i just try to really tailor it into a, a therapy into a nutrition recommendation that's going to work for the patient right so if for you it's going to work better to have um highest amounts of protein uh, in your daily intake versus somebody that maybe doesn't do as well with that type of protein right then you know we'll make those changes and so yeah i think you know looking at those pillars of just general health that we already know what those are but really you know, um, exploring those and really um, utilizing those as early as we can, the better progression and the better, um, um, you know, duration of the benefits that you're going to get before you're going to need some sort of intervention.
0: Yeah. And you touched on one of my favorite topics, blue light. Um, Yeah. I don't think there's enough uh, talk about that in the functional medicine world. Um, today, mm-hmm. and just, the you know, it's becoming more mainstream, and that's a great thing, but uh, sure. there are so many things that blue light does. I mean, there's uh, now research out there, it's been out there for a few years, that it affects blood glucose levels, so it can actually mm-hmm. mimic symptoms of diabetes, and so I, I would think that blue light exposure on a whole can be problematic with hormones.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I've had had a, a handful of patients that you know very um, high performing when it comes to the business world, and you know these mm-hmm. are people that were getting you know, I mean, health wise, they were you know really really not where they should be. You know, high cholesterol, triglycerides, insulin resistant. Um, you know, a lot of these issues that we see. But when we really dive deep and explore, you know, what are you doing um, after twelve? You know, are yeah. you working at or are you working late? Um, you know, I had a patient that was, like, doing really hard-hit workouts at, like, 10 p.m. And so I was like, you know, that's not really conducive for your stress, your cortisol. No. So, <laughs> so yeah, just, like, looking at those things. And to your point, you know, blue light, a lot of them are spending hours and in their computer, yeah. you know, looking at multiple screens, um, their TV on the background. And so all of these things that we are almost – just, you know, blinded to nowadays with just our society and, and what is being, you know, pushed on us, um, yeah. it really does translate into a lot of issues that unfortunately could affect, you know. So,
0: hey, this is Mike C, and we want you to know that we only endorse products we truly believe in. We're an affiliate of best selling author Dr. Carolyn Dean's RNA Reset Products, home of the famous Remag Liquid Magnesium Supplement. So when you go to rnareset.com and make any purchases using the coupon code NATURALMAN, we get a commission. So if you like what we do, this is one way you can support the Natural Man podcast. Make your purchase now at rnareset.com using the coupon code NATURALMAN.
1: Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media
0: is our new podcast, 4Kids Flashback. 4Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokémon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of people are now saying that sunlight is a remedy for some of that blue light exposure because blue light's just that small portion of the spectrum that's unnatural for us to be exposed to all the time, whereas the sun is the full spectrum. So it's just a whole new area of medicine opening up. And apparently, sunlight, um, UV light impacts, I think it turns off hormone production in certain instances when it's necessary. I guess it's all part of the uh, circadian biology of sunlight exposure right. so yeah there's there's so much to unpack there that we're still learning um
1: yeah especially with that that sunlight piece that you just mentioned which is awesome because <laughs> I literally I would say 99% of my patients I recommend you know first thing in the morning as soon as you wake up open up your blinds and just yeah. go to a room where you're getting those initial sun rays into a room. You know, here in Arizona, it's like every day, right? Yeah. Now. Yeah. You have no um, excuse here. <laughs> exactly, which is great. And so, yeah. you know, getting that, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, 10, 20 minutes. I'm talking about like two to three minutes maximum. Obviously, okay. don't look at the, the sun directly with your eyes open, but yeah. you just close your eyes, just get that sunlight to really hit your face. And that really wakes up that whole you know, cortisol production, mm-hmm. um, uh, really stabilizes your circadian rhythm and, and puts you for a successful day, especially when it comes to you know, winding down once that sunlight is down and getting you ready for you know, the sleeping aspect. So. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. and, and let's talk about DHEA. That's They call that the master hormone. I know it's always included in a lot of um, adrenal fatigue therapies what's what's your experience with DHEA
1: yeah DHEA is a really important hormone Um, again it's it's a precursor hormone uh, into the progression or the um, production of estrogen and testosterone Um, and so it's really important because for example let's go back to one of the cases that we mentioned with low testosterone we don't check what's happening before that testosterone is being produced how do we know if the issue is really coming from an an overall um, organ uh, reduction in production versus a metabolically uh, reduction or an issue with that, right? So DHEA is a huge role into that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I would say pretty often I prescribe DHEA. It's really important to know also the values and the optimal ranges of, of DHEA. So for females, for example, I usually like to see that between 150 and 250 and in males, uh, it's a little bit higher, so usually 300 to 500. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's even more important, too, is also looking at the the cofactors that help with the DHEA and to that meta- metabolic aspect to work better, which is vitamin A, which is a crucial vitamin for that aspect, and also NAD, right? Because NAD, um, there's been a lot of talk over the last couple of years about NAD being so amazing for anti-aging and... A yeah. lot of other benefits, um, but really working in the mitochondrial aspect of the cell, which is the, the powerhouse energy support of every cell, and so you're giving it that that um, proper, if you will, um, electrical power, right, of your cell, so they yeah. can work better, they can metabolize things better. So those are two things that I really look at when it comes to um, the the DHEA and how well it's working. Um, but you know, yeah, to your point, that's a really important hormone, and I very often look at that for sure. Hmm.
0: So you mentioned NAD and vitamin A. Are those precursors for DHEA production? Did I get that right?
1: So they're not uh, per se precursors, but they are cofactors, right? Okay. So they're just um, yeah, so they're just specific molecules, specific um, nutrients that help that hormone and that enzymatic reaction to take place and to work as well as it should. So.
0: Hmm. Okay, um, mm-hmm. is there a hormone connection to insomnia? That's something that comes up a lot in this podcast. It's just you know sleep issues and different things. You touched on yeah. it earlier. Um, mm-hmm. How have you been able to tackle insomnia using bioidentical hormones? Have you had success with that?
1: One hundred percent. Yeah, especially mm. with something that I think um, it's not talked about enough when it comes to uh, replacement of either. Uh, females or males, which is progesterone, Mm. right? So progesterone is such an important hormone. A lot of people believe that progesterone is really just important in females. But I I would have to debate that because it's really as important to females as it is for males. Really? Um, Yeah, absolutely. So Uh progesterone really uh, does play a, a huge role when it comes to sleep induction. There's a lot of studies actually supporting the fact that it has almost like a hypnotic effect when it comes to a that sleep um, uh, production and sleep rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really potent respiratory stimulant. And so with that being said, it actually um, is going to decrease the number of central and obstructive sleep apnea episodes in males. There's a, really? a study that just came out a couple of years ago with progesterone. So. It's such an important hormone, which I feel like a lot of people don't really talk about enough. Yeah. Um,
0: it's always women, males. right? Yeah, it's always well, women. I don't – in exactly. fact, everything I've read online, I'm, I'm glad you're bringing this to light because everything I've read online is, no, it's very rare when guys need it. So, so Right. So that's, yeah. that hasn't been your experience. You, you end up giving that to men a lot too?
1: Yeah, I would say I do it a lot, but I do give it to those that I think need it, especially with people that either already have a pre-existing diagnosis of sleep apnea, and they haven't been getting it under control, even though they've lost weight, you know, they all of the right things, but they're still having issues. Um, Those patients respond beautifully to a progesterone. Um, But the really good thing about progesterone, an important thing to know... Is that uh, one? You have to be given as a sustained-release capsule, okay. and um, that's really the the only way that it's been researched and providing those benefits. If it's given as a patch or a cream, you're not going to get the same benefits because it does um, uh, rely on your liver metabolism to get those effects. So that's really important to know, too.
0: So, how does a guy know he might be a candidate for progesterone?
1: Um, one of them is testing right? So looking at your actual progesterone levels and where you are, and if those are suboptimal and where you should be with those levels, also symptomatically speaking, right? And so if they're saying, you know, I'm having a really hard time staying asleep, especially not really falling asleep or staying asleep is a big issue for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not, you know, uh, waking up feeling refreshed. they're maybe. Um, you know, having issues where they're waking up, or their spouse or their partner is waking up, or waking them up in the middle of the night, telling them, "Hey, like, are you breathing?" And they're not, you know, having issues with that as well. Um, or they wake up and they feel really dry in their chest or their mm-hmm. their throat. That could be really a a, a reason or or a, um, a a symptom picture that it would lead me to possibly recommend progesterone. Okay. So, and keep in mind, you know, these are really low doses. I would probably give like less than five milligrams. Occasionally I will go up to ten milligrams on progesterone, which is so so minimal when it comes to the full spectrum of of the dosing. You know, just to give you an example for females, they're taking all the way up to like four hundred milligrams, you know, daily. So yeah. Very, very low dose, but it's just profound in terms of the benefits that it provides. So
0: And what about pregnenolone? Is that one that's also that's often classified with women as well? Do you find that guys are in need of that?
1: Yeah, yeah. So pregnenolone, um, it's also actually uh, pregnenolone is also a precursor for DHEA, so it's even taking it like a step further when it comes to that androgen and that pathway of hormone production. but the nice thing with the with pregnant alone is that it's so uh, it acts almost like a modulator so it's really going to feed the pathway that is more deficient into it so mm-hmm. let's say that you're having issues with a testosterone pathway then it's going to really feed that pathway if you're having a lot of issues with um you know progesterone then you know might feed that pathway even more so it's really, it, it's nice because it's really going to work where it needs to versus DHEA. For example, DHEA is more of a blanket um, molecule that's really going to, um, it has the potential of really um, metabolizing into, into androgens and to the testosterone a lot more heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for example, women occasionally that take DHEA, you got to be careful with the dose of DHEA because it can really push that testosterone production really heavily so they can start getting some of the unwanted one side effects like central hair growth, um, mm-hmm. maybe some anger issues. So mm-hmm. you got to be careful with that. And to really avoid that, just to kind of take it a step further in terms of the DHEA component, if you want to avoid that androgen metabolism, do you want to give it as a seven-keto DHEA so seven keto DHEA uh, would actually um, avoid that metabolism into androgens and so you're really only feeding DHEA production and and production alone and you're not gonna be causing any issues downstream on that so so
0: so that I've heard of that seven keto DHEA if your other hormones are um, fine but your DHEA is low say you're middle-aged Should someone reach for the seven keto DHEA instead? Yeah.
1: Really? Especially, yeah, especially if they're having issues with like uh, metabolism, either decreased metabolism, so they're not burning enough fat. Mm -hmm. Um, It can act really nice when it comes to really regulating that pathway. So,
0: what about adrenal fatigue issues or cortisol issues? Yeah.
1: Yeah. 100%. It helps with that too. Yeah. It can help with that. Um, But also looking at, you know, what the actual issue is with the cortisol production, is it just overworked, overstressed adrenals? Is it um, more of a pituitary issue? Is it more of a, um, you know, testosterone, thyroid problem, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, so I, I often, you know, when it comes to really integrative testing, uh, which is also really important to go to someone that's going to do a full, thorough evaluation of your lab work. Yeah. Um, you know, I look at cortisol all the time. You know, because that's such a crucial um, hormone as well. So.
0: And which which cortisol is your favorite? Do you do the saliva test or do you do the blood? Mm-hmm.
1: You know, I I used to do the saliva, the four point saliva test, yeah. a lot mm-hmm. uh, just to get a nice. Um, you know, curve of, you know, bell curve throughout the day and see what they're doing. Yeah. But most recently I've been using the Dutch cortisol test, which is a little more expensive. So patients, you know, are a little hesitant of getting it done. Yeah. But it's, it's really a beautiful test because it's going to give us also information about the metabolism and the metabolites of cortisol. So is really gonna give you more information about the total production of cortisol um, that is being not only produced by the adrenals, but also being absorbed and how much has been circulating in the plasma and really utilizing our body. And so that test um, really does give me way more information that's really, um, really just um, exposes my level of understanding and really helps the patient know you know, are you truly having a an issue with cortisol production or is it just more of a metabolite issue? You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. So the, yeah.
0: explain that Dutch test. Is that a, is that saliva based or is it serum? How does that work? I've heard of it, but I don't know much about it.
1: Yeah, I think I, I think there's two. There's a, a urine test or a blood spot test that they do. Um and so, you know, it's really just looking at those metabolites. It's an at home test, so we can just order that test for the patient. They get the the little kid at home mm-hmm. and they just they're able to do it right there in their house, which is so nice because a lot of people, you know, either they don't have the time to come to the office for a blood test, yeah. Um, or, you know, they're just having issues with, you know, um not really good veins to do a full blood draw, right? And so mm-hmm it's a it's a nice test um it's just a lot of things that some patients complain about is that it's not covered under insurance you yeah know, so well
0: functional it, medicine stuff it, never it, it, is
1: <laughs> yeah yeah exactly right? but
0: it's point. it sucks so, because it's all the best they're all the best tests so that's the frustrating yeah. part right I so know, I yeah know. i don't know so, the healthcare system's years behind right
1: yeah well <laughs> exactly <laughs> we probably spend. uh spend, you know, the whole day talking about the whole healthcare industry. Oh yeah. Well, that'll
0: be another episode. We'll have to have you exactly. back for that one. We, we can, uh, we can sit and complain about it.
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah.
0: Um. So when you, because DHEA is a master hormone and um, it helps produce androgens, do you find that if somebody's low in DHEA and testosterone, that giving them DHEA will boost Testosterone, or do you always have to turn to testosterone?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, unfortunately, what I've seen is if their testosterone production is um, massively decreased. I'm talking about less than you know 400, um, you know, milligrams there. Then um, I would say it would be really tough with just the use of DHEA. Mm-hmm. Um, To get them to a an optimal levels of testosterone, it can certainly help um, in a way that perhaps instead of needing you know let's say two hundred milligrams of testosterone, maybe we only need one hundred and thirty, right? Because we're adding the DHEA, so you're getting that extra boost of production. So that I certainly see the benefit, Um, but you know, it's probably not as useful because also you're gonna possibly also be getting a metabolism into estrogen. And so right. it's not that estrogen is bad, honestly. And, and you know, I definitely wanna make the comment of, you know, that Braille sign saying that every guy that's on testosterone should be on an estrogen blocker. That's like so untrue. And mm-hmm. data is like really not supporting any of that. Um, and, you know, I've seen patients, for example, that come that are already on testosterone replacement, they're on the which is the, the estrogen blocker. Mm-hmm. And then we check their estrogens that it's like almost negligible. Like there's no, not even any production of estrogen. And then their cholesterol is really um, dysregulated. Uh, their cardiovascular risk has increased over the last, you know, two or three years. Mm-hmm. And that's because estrogen is such an important protective when it comes or protection when it comes to arterial health. And cardiovascular health and risk reduction in general and so um that's one of the things that i really um tell my patients you know that it's it's so beneficial and so important at the right dose you know if you're if you are having um crazy levels of estrogen production then it's a a separate issue right but at the proper dose is really important so
0: how often is estrogen high in men
1: um that you see yeah it's I would probably say it's not very common to see an elevated estrogen on males. The only people that I really see that maybe a little more than others are those that are metabol- metabolically really unhealthy. So those that have over, you know, 80 pounds of overweight, mm-hmm. um, that are not exercising, they have a lot of that, um, lower abdominal, you know, circumference weight gain. Um, those are the ones that I tend, tend to see that estrogen to be a little bit higher. And that's because estrogens, uh, especially estrone tends to be a type of estrogen that is mainly um, um, held or absorbed into the fat and the adipose tissue, right? Right, and so that's a good uh, sort of marker that I test on a lot and see, you know, are you actually having issues losing that stubborn, you know, weight because of a of a hormone and estrogen increase or something else? So,
0: so what do you do with guys who have? in that rare case elevated estrogen what, what's your protocol
1: yeah depending on how bad it is if it is really elevated and maybe i'll put him on a temporary um estrogen blocker mm-hmm. um very low dose and see how they're responding but a lot of times that i see also it's doing more of a natural uh, approach so dim it's a fantastic supplement that really helps with the estrogen breakup and metabolism through the liver mm-hmm. um and also um a a calcium um, calcium gluconate can also help a lot when it comes to that um, liver production of, of uh, metabolism of, of estrogen. Okay. So,
0: yeah, I heard DIM helps with prostate health. Did you ever encounter yeah.
1: that? Yeah. Um, I haven't really read many studies that talked about DIM specifically for okay. prostate. They mainly they they. And I'm sure they're out there. I just have to maybe do a little more research. But the ones that right. I have seen a lot, just really with that estrogen metabolism, I do give it a lot to my female patients with PCOS, for example. Mm. Um, if they're having a, an estrogen-dominant picture, um, and it can work really, really well for those patients.
0: Okay. So, I, no, I w- I didn't yeah. mean to throw that curveball at you. I, oh, I, no, no, you're good. I talked to a guy I know um, like a year ago, who was, uh, Uh who was dealing with some, some elevated PSA levels, you know, prostate stuff. And apparently he said dim helped to lower that, but I never, I never bothered to look it up and I always meant to, and it just popped into my head now. And I thought I'd, I thought I'd put it out there to see if it's common (laughs) knowledge and maybe it's not, but I guess, I guess we'll both be jumping on Google after this. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Um, so how long does it take typically for somebody to start feeling better once you put them on a hormone regimen? So you see diagnose somebody, um, you know, they need so let's say testosterone or, or yeah progesterone. I guess it's probably mm-hmm. different for each hormone, but when when do you start seeing improvements in how people feel, symptomology and and labs?
1: Um really depends on the type of um of delivery of the hormone that we went with. Mm-hmm. If we're doing a pellet, you're gonna see uh, really the results within, I would say a couple of weeks, two to three weeks, it's probably the the average that I see patients um, mentioning that they, they're feeling significantly better, right? Um, the reason why is because it's a, um, you're giving it all of the medication, a lot of the dosing that they will potentially need for the next three to six months on those patients right. um, into a, a subcutaneous area that is slowly being absorbed. And so it's more of a steady delivery into the system and so they're gonna get those benefits you know rather quickly. Um, if we're doing, for example, a cream, you know it could be a little bit slower because it's a lot of um, environmental factors that come into play. Where are they applying it? Um, uh, is their skin permeability, um, healthy enough where they're actually absorbing the cream, um, you know, how are they doing it? Where are they doing it? So super, you know, uh, important to, to know, uh, those areas, um, if it's a, an injection into the muscle, um, that acts pretty, um, quickly as well, I would say not as quickly as, a, as a pellet, uh, but I would say on average about, uh, four to six weeks is what I see patients noticing some improvements. okay. So,
0: yeah. yeah. And so for guys with prostate issues, um, there's a lot of literature out there saying watch out with DHEA. And I think I've seen it with, um, I don't know if I've seen that with testosterone. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but Mm -hmm. is there a link between, you know, prostate cancer and DHEA? And do people have to be careful if they're dealing with elevated PSA as they age?
1: Yeah, I mean that's um, that's just a hot topic when it comes to the whole prostate cancer um, talk because you know there's a, a lot of newer research supporting the the actual prescription of testosterone on either um, active uh, prostate cancer patients or post cancer remission patients because there's. Um, you know, there's conflicting data supporting the correlation between testosterone and prostate cancer. Um, and so, you know, I would say just very depending on the type of prostate cancer the patient has, uh, when it comes to DHEA, again, it's because of those metabolites and whether breaking up into that, that could be an issue. um, so you know the the thing with prostate cancer is that the majority of prostate cancers are really slow growing types of cancers, yeah. um, and they're not going to really affect the um, the longevity or the lifespan of the patient. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of those patients will most often than not die of another type of of disease that is not related to the prostate cancer. Right. Uh, but you do have those, you know. Um, you know, 5%, 10% of, of patients with a really aggressive type of cancer. So those are the ones that you really should be careful um, on what you're doing, right? But mm-hmm. screening uh, is hugely important when it comes to prostate, um, especially nowadays. You know, I, I recommend to really go and get an MRI of your prostate versus just doing the manual, you know, dreaded exam that every male doesn't want to get when they yeah. go. Yeah. You know, yeah. get that done because, you know, when you get in the manual exam, you're only really covering about a third of the entirety of the of the gland. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, air could really be um, pretty pronounced and you're not really going to be able to identify a lot of the issues, especially on the, the posterior um, aspect of the gland. And so an MRI scan. Even if you're paying cash, pay for those things. You know, nowadays I can get a patient's an MRI uh, for about two hundred bucks. You know, which what? is an, ML, an MRI oh, yeah.
0: for two hundred bucks, really?
1: Yep, absolutely. Really? Yep.
0: Wow, that's good to know. Yep. <clears throat> yeah.
1: Yeah. And so again, it's wow. uh, it's relatively cheap. You know, test nowadays yeah. um, is in, not invasive. The patient is you know comfortable. They're not mm-hmm. getting anything done um and you can really get a full view of that gland and really see if there's any issues that you know we should be mindful of so yeah
0: so do you do you order those tests for your patients or does somebody have to go through a radiologist how does that typically work
1: no i order you know i order all those tests for my patients either okay they have insurance or not insurance if they have insurance honestly i've been able to get them covered with their insurance providers even though i'm not you know part of their system or their network yeah um but you know i'm putting obviously the right codes um and everything that that they need right yeah, so yeah. when they their companies see that um it's rare that i see them not covering it but again i've had patients that you know want to go through insurance and yeah. they haven't met that they're deductible they get it done and they get a bill of you know eighteen hundred dollars later yeah. because you yeah. know so it's like Hey, I told you that you could have gotten it for two hundred dollars, but you wanted yep. to go through your insurance. So
0: <laughs> yeah, that cash pay is a little known thing. I just learned that not too long ago. Um, I got a friend uh-huh. who's a functional functional medicine doc, and he's like, "Do the cash pay if you haven't met your deductible." Because even if you oh, yeah. if your deductible is eight hundred bucks, and you can get it done for two hundred out of out of pocket, I mean, it's a no brainer. But it's. Uh, it seems exactly. to be a little advertised secret with labs in the United States with uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with scans, I mean to say. But uh Yeah. Yeah, that's sure. uh that's huge. I didn't know that. That's great to know. Wow. Yeah I've never yeah, I mean, heard especially of
1: that. With like yeah, especially with my pain and regenerative medicine patients. I would say, mm-hmm. you know, imaging, I, I use it a lot, and so I can get an X ray for like thirty dollars. Yeah. You know, which yeah. is like so cheap. Yeah. Um, So it's a great tool to have and it's you know we should utilize it you know there's there's no reason why there's technology and the technology keeps evolving so Mm -hmm. you know i tend to really practice very very integrative if you will so Mm -hmm. um if the patient uh i think could benefit from either prescription medications or you know specific types of of testing then we're going to order those right because it's what the patient needs Um, it's not what the insurance companies and pharma tells me that the patient needs yeah you know? best of both so,
0: worlds that's that's the way to do yeah. it i mean that's the kind of doc you want right exactly yeah right um so. uh david this has been fun and uh really appreciate you making the time to hang out with us how can people find you
1: yeah they can uh you know they can give us a call here in our office uh the phone number is 480 371 3690 Um, I always offer a free sort of like meet and greet, um, you know, meeting with all the patients that are interested in what, you know, I can offer to them and see if it's going to be a good fit over the phone. Um, They can also just look us up on uh, social media, you know, Modern Medicine AZ on Instagram and Facebook and also our website, which is modernmedicineaz.com.
0: Well, that's awesome thank you and uh, you know we'll have to have you back so we can both complain about the medical system on another episode that's uh, right <laughs> like we talked about
1: <laughs> absolutely yeah. yeah
0: well thanks for being here and that'll do it for this edition of the Natural Man Podcast make sure you subscribe to us um, and check us out at naturalmanpodcast.com uh, for all of our latest episodes I'm Mike C until next time stay healthy hey. The Natural Man Podcast. Check us out. NaturalManPodcast.com. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Katherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana.